Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. I'm so happy and excited to be back to Long Island Alliance Church. Uh, this sounds like I'm happy to come back because something had bad happens to me. No, not at all. Seven years ago, God put me put a burden in my heart to do a church plant in Flushing, Queens, serving the Korean community. The seven years of ministry was really very exciting and also very challenging. I never expected that I would be working with high schoolers, young adults, in a cross-cultural setting. That sets me up in a journey of faith, a journey that took me to a whole realms of seeing God doing things that I had never imagined. I had selfish plan, and God taught me to give it up and learn to trust Him. In today's message, I'm bringing the story of Abraham to parallel the journey of faith. Let's pray. Father Lord, today we are so thankful allowing us to be here to worship you. And I commit today's message to you. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you will speak to us, each one of us individually, what you have prepared for us. And I commit myself and I pray for anointing a Holy Spirit. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a student studying at the University of Illinois, one of my research associates invited me over to his home to watch the men's ice hockey team games. He just brought a brand new 27-inch TV monitor, and he wanted to showcase his new TV. I called it a toy. Of course, I was happy to accept his invitation because I was curious about the game of ice hockey. Let me tell you this. It was indeed a very interesting experience, so to speak. I've never seen so much fighting in any sport. I guess it only happens to ice hockey. After the game, he talked to me about one of his most memorable ice hockey games that he had ever watched on TV. That was the 1980 Winter Olympics in Lake Placid, New York. And this is his story. He came home from church the Sunday to watch the American team playing the Russians in ice hockey in a elim elimination semi-final round. It was in the end of the first period and the score was tied 2-2. Suddenly, he felt anxious about the game. In the second period, the Russians scored a goal and the U.S. team were losing by a score of 2-3. Going to the third period and final period, a thought came to his mind that the Russians would score a few more goals at the end of the game just to embarrass the Americans. But the outcome was different in the third period. The Americans scored two additional goals giving the American team a 4-3 lead. All throughout the game, the Russians kept coming back, hammering the Americans like crazy. And finally, the Americans' U.S. team won. The underdog American hockey team defeated the mighty Soviet Unions in the 4-3 score on February 22, 1980, at the Winter Olympic in Lake Placid, New York. Two days later, the Americans went on to beat Finland for the gold medal. Now fast forward one year later, the movie Miracle on Ice came out and was playing in the theater. So when 
with a housemate of mine to watch Miracle on Ice. And since I already knew the outcomes of the game, I just leaned back on that comfortable theater chair seat and let my friend enjoy the suspense of the game. It does make a lot of difference because I already knew the outcome of that game. Now, wouldn't it be nice if you knew the outcome of everything and the outcome would always be good? How nice it would be if we could see through our future and be able to see that God was going to be faithful in guiding us on the right path. How reassuring it would be if we could look through a telescope of time and knowing that we are going to be financially secure. How worry-free it would be if we could know that the problem that seems so big that would work out itself. Now, in a perfect world, that would be great. We do not need our doctors to prescribe blood pressure pills and anxiety medications. We could put our feet up and sail through life. That's it. That it is. And our life will be worry-free. But that is not how life is. It certainly was not how it was for Abraham. Abraham's spiritual journey of life began after the death of his father. We know very little about Abraham before God called him. He was born and raised in the Ur of Chaldees, a city located in the land of Mesopotamia. We also know from reading Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, that prior to his conversion, Abram was a worshiper of idol. And yet, God saw something in him. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, God called him to leave his family and his home and travel to a strange country. Now, put yourself in Abraham's shoe. How would you react if God called you to leave your family, your friends, and more importantly, Long Island Alliance Church, and go to a strange place called the South Pole? I'm sure you will have many questions of God. I wonder how our spouses would react to this news if he told them. See, Abraham had no idea where he would end up, what it would look like, or how it would turn out for him. He did not know if he would be robbed or physically attacked along the way. The only thing God told him was to go, that God would be with him in his journey. See, Abraham also knew that God would bless him and make him a great nation, but he could not see how God was going to carry out the promises. It's one thing for God to tell you something. It's also quite another thing to understand how he is going to carry it out. For lack of trust and faith, we want to understand all the details and know the outcomes before we can commit to the plans. In this story of Abraham, we can learn a few lessons from him, but the first lesson is this. Abraham is just like us. He was fully human. When God called him, 
he was at the age of 70 years old. We read in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and it says, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. This is the first time God makes three promises to Abraham. There are three promises of God here. The first promise is that God would make Abram a great nation. The second promise is that God would give Abraham a great name. The third promise is that God would bring great blessing upon the earth through Abram. Now, down in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7, there's also another promise of land. So together, these are the promises of God to Abram. What a wonderful promise of God and what a blessing to know that God has a special purpose for him and he would be with him whenever or wherever he went. The Bible did not say anything about whether Abraham questioned or argued with God. Abraham also did not ex give excuses like Moses did. All he did was pack and leave. Verse 4 says, So Abram left in the, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. Now, what did God tell him to do? God told Abram to leave his extended family, and God would give him directions as he went along. But Abraham did not do what God told him. Yes, he left, but he did not pay attention to what God asked him to do. He wanted the security of other people. He also wanted protection. He wanted to have people around him whom he knew and understand him. Abraham took his nephew, Lot, with him. There were the problems caused by his nephew, Lot. We all read about that in Genesis. Tensions arose between the families, and Lot moved away from Abraham and he settled in Sodom. And you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. The bringing of his nephew, Lot, was not Abraham's only mistake. Abraham had his, his own shortcomings, too. Under pressure and fearful of his death, he used his human wisdoms to try to solve his problem. God already told him that he would be with him and protect him. But when Abraham entered unfamiliar territories, he told his wife, not once, but twice, to lie by telling the people in those places that Sarai was indeed his sister. Why did Abraham resort to lying? He lied because he was afraid to tell them that Sarai was his wife. He lied because he feared that they would kill him. 
Abraham had a memory lapse. He had forgotten the promises God gave him. His fear overruled his trust in God. And God has said to Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 1, it says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham did not listen to God, and he put his wife in danger, trying to save his own life. But God came through and intervened in both situations. God would never approve of what he did, and neither would God have approved of Abraham endangering his plan for him. How could he become the father of a nation if his wife were no longer with him? Now, there are many other ways Abraham failed, but suffice to say, Abraham was truly human. Yes, God called him. God said that he's going to bless him, yet he was still human. He was, he was full of weaknesses, and he made lots of mistakes. He was foolish, and he was a failure in many respects. Now, after reading this story, it really encouraged me uh, because it means that there might be a hope for failure like me. I hope you will also find hope for your failures also. Abraham was so human, it seems like me. If he had sailed through all these tests of his faith, it might have discouraged me and made me feel like I could never be a person who could follow God. But because the Bible is faithful to the full story of Abraham, I know that he was a man like me. He struggled with trusting God and waiting on him in faith. He messed up at times and even threatened the fulfillment of God's plan for his life. But he was still a man of God. This leads us to a second important lesson from the story of Abraham. Even though Abraham was fully human, he was truly a man of God. There are no perfect people. God only has imperfect people to work with. Therefore, there is hope for us. Let me emphasize this. We do not have to be perfect to have a relationship with God. Even when we mess up, God is there to pick us up. If we miss one answer, it doesn't mean that we have failed the whole test. The last chapter of your life has not yet been written, and God is not through with us yet. Abraham was not perfect in his faith. Yes, Abraham did not trust God with everything, but he did leave his homeland and go to the place where God was sending him. He did believe God was going to give him a son. He also believed that God was his shield and that God would protect him. But there were a few frightening experiences when his faith faltered. If it were not for God, this failure could have ruined Abraham's life. He wanted a son so badly, he was willing to try anything. And his failure to trust God at this point had major consequences, which he and his descendants 
we have to live with. It's not always easy to follow God. As the life of Abraham demonstrated, following God complicated his life in many ways. But Abraham was faithful in continuing in his struggle. Evelyn Underhill wrote this. Christian history book, glorious in retrospect, but is made up of constant hard choices and unattractive tasks, accepted under the pressure of the will of God. That was certainly true for Abraham. But we know that God saw Abraham or Abraham as a man of faith because the Bible says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteous. That was taken from Genesis 15, verse 6. And this verse from Genesis is quoted no less than four times in the New Testament, in Romans, Galatians, and James. Did Abraham struggle with believing God? Yes, he did. Did he ultimately place his trust in God? Absolutely. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 to 10, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as, it, as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. For he was looking forward to the city with foundation, whose architects and builder is God. See, it's important to have faith in God, and that faith must be very specific. In the 2019 Gallup poll, uh, it found that 30% of American adults describe themselves as spiritual. One person said this, I can go on a 40-mile bike ride and get as much from it as I can from going to church. Nature to me is what God is all about. It's a renewal. About 54% of those who responded say that they are religious, but 45% of those say they are more likely to follow their own instincts than church teaching. For example, 79% say they believe God will decide who goes to heaven or hell, but 44% say that atheists, if they are good people, they will enter heaven. And that was the poll conducted by Gallup 2019. The story of Abraham tells us that God will help us as we struggle in our faith. But that faith must be a faith in the one true God. It is not good enough to be spiritual. In a general sense, our faith must be specific. It must be a faith in the God of the Bible, who is the only living God who created all the nations. Abraham did not follow the gods of the Chaldeans, the people where he used to live, nor did he follow the gods of the Canaanites. The people where he now live, he followed God who called him to follow him and promised to be with him. A new book called How to Stay Christians by J. Buzizewski tells how a girl named Julie went away to college and began to witness boldly to her three roommates. 
the girls not only listened politely, they seemed supportive. Julie was excited because they all seemed to be so open to the gospel. But she was shocked when they responded just as warmly when Sally, one of the other girls in the room, said she was into the New Age movement and believed in the God within all of us. And when Amy said she believed God is a force like the Star Wars movies, they accepted that too. Ruth said she was a very spiritual person, but did not believe any God at all. Julie was confused when the other agreed that we are all saying the same thing in the end. Julie had run into secular myths that truth is whatever you sincerely believe. What people do not seem to realize is that you can be very sincere in your belief and to be sincerely wrong at the same time. There is one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6. In the first chapter of Faith Understanding, St. Elson of Canterbury famously wrote this statement, For I seek not to understand in order that I may believe, but I believe in order that I may understand. Unless I believe, I cannot understand. Anselm then went on to explain that he desires to understand the truth that his heart believes and loves. In other words, his faith seeks understanding. The third point is that Abraham was a God, was a God's plan of something bigger than himself. Abraham went through a lot of faith-stretching experiences, but the last test he was about to face was the most difficult one. When Abraham was 70 years old, God called him. When he was 75 years old, God promised him a son. Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 years old. Everything was wonderful until one day, God, and without warning, asked him to do something that is very questionable, something that would test his faith to the limit. Genesis 22, verse 2 says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the regions of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Abraham heard God's request very loud and clear. Surprisingly, there's not a word of protest if it's me, I will question. I will protest. This is a very usual circumstance Abraham had to face. But he obeyed God. He had finally learned to trust God, even during the most unusual circumstances. As Abraham and his son approached the altar, Isaac knew that they had, some, that they had come to worship and offer a sacrifice to God. But something was missing. Knowing that something is missing, Isaac asked his father. In chapter 22, verse 7, Genesis, it says, Father, the fire and the wood are here, 
but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham gave this classic response. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So as he reached the place of sacrifice, Abraham uh, arranged the wood on the altar. Then he bound his son and he laid him on the wood. He raised the knife in the air and about to bring it down when God stopped him and said, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that God no, I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. That's taken from Genesis chapter 22, verse 12. By making this shocking request, God was teaching Abraham a few things. The first thing he taught Abraham was that Abraham, that he's not like other gods. He is a holy God who values human life. Secondly, and this is a difficult part here. God was teaching Abraham that we cannot hold anything back from God. See, if God's blessing become more important than the God who blessed us, then God is not in the proper place in our lives. Everything in our life, even the blessings of God, must be laid on the altar as a sacrifice to God. Whether he asks for them or not, we have to be willing to offer them to him, for nothing can take his place. Thirdly, God taught Abraham that he would never ask him to do something that he was not willing to do himself. The Lord stopped Abraham from doing what he would do. When Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamp, he had no idea that he was actually prophesying about Jesus, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. Abraham simply was acting out what God would later do through his one and only son. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but we have eternal life. By Abraham's obedience and faith, he became a part of God's plan to save the world. He learned to trust God one step at a time. Yes, there were failures along the way, but he grew in faith and his ability to walk in obedience. Abraham's spiritual maturity did not arrive at once but he knew in his walk with God as he trusted him through one difficult situation after another. His ability to trust God became so remarkable that he could trust God even when he did not understand, even when he was walking through the dark unknowns. Barbara Winter writes from her own experience when she says, when you come to the edge of all the light you know and are about to step off into the darkness of the unknown, faith is knowing one of two things will happen. There will be something solid to stand on or you will be taught how to fly. In conclusions, when I was a student 
uh, I visited Epcot Center in Florida with some friends of mine. There was a show about China, and I was very eager to want to know more about that country my grandfather came from. Although I am Chinese, I have very little knowledge and understanding about the Chinese history and the culture. Before the show starts, it was shown on a 360 degrees uh, view. Uh, the MC told us to relax, and she said this, this movie will walk you through a journey of my motherland. Enjoy the 360 degrees movie. Many of you, including me, will be embarking on a journey. Some of you may be taking a journey of faith. Some of you may be taking a journey to nowhere. Some of you may be taking a journey of going back to your old self. Some may even take a break from taking a journey to grow yourself. Whatever your journey of life may be, God will never leave you or forsake you. Abraham took a journey of faith. Moses took a journey of trust, for he trusted God to help him lead the Israelites to the promised land. Paul took a journey of servanthood, for he went out to preach, to evangelize, to build churches, to mentor young Christians like Timothy. The disciple of Jesus Christ took on a journey of following him, for they all gave up their jobs to follow Jesus. Reverend Byron Sherman shared one of his blogs about the challenges missionaries encounter living in another country. This is what he wrote. The food in China can be a challenging for newcomers. One example is that chickens often serve cleaver style. That means leaving the meat and bones chopped up together, making it difficult to eat. Years ago, I went with a group of newcomers to a nice hotel to eat some hamburgers and normal Western food. One lady in our group, Marie, wanted to eat chicken without needing to spit out the bones, so he ordered boneless chicken. The waiter, whose English was quite good, could not imagine what Marie wanted. She was very insistent, saying, I want boneless chicken, chicken with no bones. After more confusion and more insisting, the waiter finally said he understood, wrote something down, and returned it to the kitchen. Fifteen minutes later, our order started coming out to the table. Marie's food was the last to arrive, and when the poor waiter placed her dish in front of her, we all have a LOL experience. That means laugh out loud. It was a plate of fried rice. Sorry, fried eggs. This is purely due to translation. In Chinese language, I learned this from my wife. If you order chicken, you would say chicken meat. That's a direct translation. That means with bones. If you order eggs, you would say chicken eggs. That means eggs has no bones. You may laugh out loud after this, il this illustration. 
the waiters were given specific instructions that one of the newcomers wanted chicken with no bones. Without fully understood what chicken with no bones meant, she translated the customer's request in Mandarin Chinese. The rest is up to the cook to come up with the request. Although she was given specific instructions and not knowing what the outcome would be, the waiter ventured forth in faith despite the challenges. We all face challenges in our journey. What is your journey going to be from now on? I will leave these questions for you to think about. May God bless you.